You're listening to How You Create with Ben Terry and Joshua John Marie. All right, we're back from a week off, Josh. We're now potting again. How did it feel to have a week off from the podcast? I thought it felt great. I think you went through a midlife crisis in a week. We definitely had some back and forth on whether we should take a week off or not. Initially, that was the plan. This being a every other week podcast, mm-hmm. mainly because we have day jobs and we pot at night. And we thought that was going to be the most sustainable for us to do every other week. And then the plan going starting off was that we were going to post a new episode every week in February to kind of help build the audience and the buzz on the podcast. And when we got to March, we were going to move to every other week. And when that happened, I got cold feet and was like, the momentum. You, pan- it, you panicked. Good. Like you you like, were pacing around and panicking. Yeah. I, you know, I think like, it's kind of like when I go running or cycling, it's like if I miss a day, it becomes so much harder the next time to like get back on the bike or to do it. And I think I was afraid of us not being able to get back on the bike, but we did and we're here and we recorded another episode. So you can, you can trust me. Everything is fine. Take a, take a deep breath, Ben. I know you're breathe, breathe in. (sighs) What's surprising is in out, in out, in out. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. (laughs) But what we did decide is the weeks in which we're not going to publish an episode, we are going to, to create some content in the newsletter. Yeah. So if you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, you can go to www.howyoucreate.co, C-O, and that should take you to our newsletter where you can sign up for it. And you can join more than 500 people who are now tapped in to the deep dive of information. Why, sh- why should people be excited about getting this newsletter every other week? I mean, I don't want to give like a crazy marketing pitch, but... let me Let me pitch it for you. If there's anyone that has a resource or knows what's going on, it's Ben Terry. So this is the link. This is the link king. So let me yeah. Let me just have this one. This is what's going to break down in the newsletter. Ben is going to be sharing the links that he comes across. We're talking NFTs. We're talking whatever's happening Resources, in the world. Resources, money. Know. It's going to be in these links. If you're links. creative and you need a link, I'm going to be your man. And I'm going to come in because I'm just an analog photographer lover. And I'm just going to really bring a visual... Um, Identity to the newsletter. My man I wants to Just, tell stories. I want to tell stories. I want to bring in. I'm going to creative direct those stories. I like it. So, so really, there's <laughs> going to be this dynamic of you know, if you're already interested in the pod, you're going to like this newsletter. If you want resources and want to know what's going on within the creative world and just really the world in general, Ben's going to come in with the links. And then, if you're inspired by visuals like I am, I'm going to be doing some photo stories. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a good time. So make sure you go. We're and, just trying to diversify. Yeah. Bring some so, different content to the to, to the, the community. Yeah. yeah. So go check it out. Make sure you're subscribed. Yeah. Make sure you subscribe. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You know, we're figuring this out as we go. We are. We are. All right. That's our marketing pitch for the day. Sorry for all the mm-hmm. the marketing stuff. But we recorded an episode tonight with Junebug. And who's Junebug? I mean, Junebug really does everything. He's a visual artist, a photographer, an illustrator, designer, a muralist. You name it, he does it. He's worked with Facebook, Nike, Bandcamp. He also does his own like uh, gallery shows. It's, it's It was really hard to just focus on one aspect of his kind of like creative world that he lives in because he's just so fascinating and he's so open-handed to learning from experiences and unlearning things yeah. and then rebuilding it back up. 
I was going to say there's this humbleness to, you know, for someone who wears so many hats, he, his approach is very casual. It's kind of just like his thing and he owns it. Um, and his process is very fluid. You brought up a good point during our conversation though, though, of while his process is fluid, he's very intentional with everything that he touches. Um, yeah. and I think that's a, that's a dynamic that can be hard to maintain, but he does it so, so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Junebug is just, he's almost unassuming. Like when you meet him, mm. you know, there's an aspect that he's like r- uber creative. Mm. Um, but I think you don't realize if you're not familiar with him, just like how impressive he is as an artist yeah. and as a thinker for his work. And so yeah. it was a good conversation to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit into understanding, you know, where his work has kind of taken him and we'll, we'll kind of kick it off with figuring out who Junebug is. I, I tapped onto, or I uh, kind of arrived on your scene through Shutterbug eighty seven, your photography, um, right. and you know we were we were talking uh, before this episode, and uh, we wanted to bring you on to really break down um, one all these areas that you're talented and working in, um, mm-hmm. but also you have this creative entrepreneurship aspect to you. Um, but I, I arrived on the scene with you with, with through your photography. Right. Um, and that's not even, that's more of like your hobby, you would say, right? It's not even like your a money-making yeah. section yeah. for you? Intentionally, it's not money-making. Um, you know, it's almost like in between a hobby and a professional thing, you know? And if you equate professionalism with like making financial success, then maybe it's not that, but like there's, it's a gray area. And I like that it is in that gray area. Um, but my first I, like IG social presence was fresh coffee. So I had always been an illustrator. That was my first love. My first medium like was just pencil and paper. And um, I want to say the end of undergrad, like maybe like a year after meeting rock and like forming that, I was doing um, the Bugs 87 freelancing, just kind of testing the waters of it, but still working at like McDonald's. And while at McDonald's, I ended up seeing how people were ordering coffee and the excitement of ordering like fresh coffee. So then eventually my clothing brand came into existence as being called Fresh Coffee. And then I took that with the whole spin of marketing as close to the coffee concept as I could without being like super, super gimmicky. I definitely was gimmicky. Yeah. Like, smell like coffee and like they're packaging coffee bags. And like, you know, I still have that company today and like full circle trying to reemerge as that. Yeah. Um, but what were the, what did you notice about when you're working at McDonald's? Like what were the things you're picking up on in terms of these people's uh, reaction and just approach to getting coffee? Um, I remember like this Saturday that it, like the light bulb went off, was like, it was just a line, like a Saturday morning rush. And it was kind of like, almost like this obsessive need of like, I just needed, I just need the, the fresh coffee. And I don't know if you guys realize like what goes on in these fast food places, but like, you're well prepared for the rush. You're supposed to be well prepared. So you're supposed to have like two burners to like, um, 
coffee, you know, pots on the burner, one in the bag ready, you know, to like prepare for this run. And it's wild because like the people that came in saw them shits like on the burner. <laughs> but was like, I don't know how long those have been there. I want to brush. And like, you know, became like these bridezilla kind of folks, right? And I'm just in my mind, I'm like, yo, I literally just made this before you walked in. Like, <laughs> and so, um, you know, I had to make a new batch right in front of their eyes, right? And then as soon as they got it, it was like the simple, like, oh, thank you. And, you know, but they were super juiced. And I was like, all right. Yeah. And that happened a few more times. And I was just like, wow, what is it about, you know, needing that to see that this mm. was made in front of you to like, and then, you know, in hindsight now, I'm like, oh, it was a process of it. It was them mm. like feeling like they were a part of the process by watching me make it. Um, and I think that's always something that has fueled me is just the process of creation. Yeah. And um, I look at a lot of my works now. I'm more excited. I'm more having. I'm having way more fun in the process. I'm having way more fun creating it, the improvisation of it, um, the kind of acceptance of whatever mistakes happen, you know, and fixing those. And it's all the process. At the end mm. of it, like once it's finished and I hand it off, like it's all right. It's cool. I, I mean, I enjoy it, but for me, the magic of it is gone. You know, I still appreciate it, but that magic is all in the process. It um, sounds like there's this unlearning and relearning to yeah. a lot of your work. You're kind of like, yeah. you see something, you're then kind of breaking it down to like yeah. the smallest possible root of right. what's happening there. And right. then you try to rebuild it back up, whether that's in photography and documenting something you're curious about to your illustrations and right. and, and to your paintings. How did you go from illustration to paintings? Was that something you were always dabbling in or because um, you're just as good of a painter as you are illustration? Thanks. Um, uh, you know, I think it's, I'm trying to get to a point where I feel like I'm drawing as I'm painting. Because sometimes or when the, it's been like I go to paint and I'm like, I got to be a painter can't be like drawing on the canvas like you know so now i'm just working on feeling the same way i feel on paper um just with the the paintbrush but um i was doing illustration in undergrad i learned um how to take my illustrations from traditional means and apply them to the computer and basically build that bridge between like the past and the present and the future and i was doing that for a while so i like learned photoshop Learn Illustrator. Illustrator became my thing. Um, I think Illustrator is the most intimidating app in the Adobe Suite. It's so wild. Like that to me is the easiest app. And the people who find it the easiest, I think, are the people we should be most feared in, or should be most feared in society. You all are dangerous <laughs> individuals. The thing about <laughs> Illustrator that really caught me. Was I mean, it's cool that it's Vector and just the mindset of like, oh, I can create whatever and just not even worry about this either. But it was because there wasn't an erase button and I had to figure out how to erase. And in Photoshop, it's hella easy because you just click the button and you erase. 
yeah. an illustrator, you have to find a creative way to take out what you don't need to <laughs> keep what you want. And so I was like, oh, this is tight because now I can figure out how to like layer things, take this out based on the shape of it or based, you know, and that made it more interesting because it was challenging. And I liked that. Huh, yeah. um, but, you know, going back to like how the painting kind of evolved was my homie in Dallas. So when I was uh, when I moved back to Dallas forward from Abilene, I was in the scene heavy. I was doing fresh coffee a lot and I was vending and also having my sketchbook and like doing illustrator and stuff. So not really painting at all. And then I linked up, I met this dude, uh, which is now my bro. Um, his name is Arturo Torres. And some people might know who he is now because he did the, um, he did that uh, few books with, um, what's his name? Serrano? No. It's the rap yearbook. No, it's not the rap year. I keep saying the rap yearbook, but it was, um, but he was a New York Times bestseller now, and he's just been drawing uh, this whole time. He did basketball and other things. Shea Serrano, that's what his name was. Man, Shea Serrano's like the goat. Yeah. So that's he, your homeboy? Um, Arturo is, the illustrator. Okay. Of those books. Okay, 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 okay. Get it, get um, it right, Ben. Come on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I've never met Shea, but um, he's cool. And Arturo, I met Arturo at this... Um, this art love magic event which was like a, a a group in dallas that was basically putting together these shows and inviting local artists to kind of create and kind of on the first wave of that and i was just going to these shows i ended up meeting arturo once and we had similar similar like ways of seeing the world and seeing art and um then we just started hanging out and he was more the painter than I was, and I was more the illustrator. So we started basically cross-teaching each other. Oh, interesting. And then we eventually formed this little um, painting duo called The Coworkers, because we ended up starting, uh, uh, we started working at this co-working spot in Dallas called Common Desk. And we were doing the art installs there, and like just basically like flipping art almost every quarter of just like painting these original pieces that were just going and living in the space. And um, eventually just kept doing that and then started out of there, came up with the coworkers and would just like show up to events and we just live paint. But what was special about us is like, we never planned anything. We were kind of notoriously late. And when we got there, we were like, oh, what do you want to do? We were like. Yeah, it was all fluid because we we're like, we don't know what we want to do. And we'll just make one mark and then we'll go from there and we'll just figure it out as we go along. And that was just the most fun because it's like, you can't really plan it. You're just doing yeah. it, you know? And we finished because we, we understood like what would feel finished or what way to go. But it was just the idea of like intentionally not planning until we got there and saw what we wanted to see and just like yeah. piggybacking off each other. He was like really good with color and I was really good with lines. And I learned a lot about color through watching him. Cause we would show up to these freaking paint stores 
And he, I would just be like, I'm going I'm to step back and just watch. Like, he would just like go through and be like, this color, this color, this color, this color. And yeah. it was just like the most odd color combinations. But when you put them together, they work. And I was like, all right, I'm starting to understand this. You know, and I had taken color theory class, so I, I would see it and I'm like, okay, I wouldn't choose that color, but now it makes sense. And so I started yeah. like opening up my mind about it. So it was all these processes and just like that natural learning and community yeah. and learning through experiences. Right. 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 Yeah. So Well this this kind of leads us to um like we said, we have three segments of this of this podcast, um, and this leads us into really your creative process and mm. around this um, idea that you're talking about of just um, even picking colors. What do you feel like is most unique about your process? I feel like someone like you. I look at your work and I could almost say, like, man, like your work is just unique and it's different. But what do you feel like is unique about your process and what really sets you apart? Ah. Uh... His fluidity. I think think there's one thing that I've learned hanging out with Junebug is that like (laughs) my man is going with the flow. Like he's showing up to a space and figuring it out and then just going with what's happening. I mean, wouldn't you say that's true? Yeah, I'm definitely not a planner. Yeah. I think that I think that the the excitement for me comes in the improv. Mm. But there's but there's a lot of like you can see the inspiration in your work. Like there's mm-hmm. this like, like this, I would be curious to hear what inspires you because when I look at your work, it has this old aesthetic or almost like this timely aesthetic, mm-hmm. but kind of like refreshed and new. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if that connects with you or not, but it seems like you're really inspired by the things of the past yeah. and then kind of letting that kind of connect to today's time. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the concept of like, if you don't know your past, your future, like you're going to repeat it in a way. Um, but there's also the fact that, you know, I grew up in Jamaica in my formative years. I was living with my grandfather and my step grandmother in rural Jamaica in like um, St. Anne Parish. And I was actually born in Jamaica too. So I, my first like, I guess, interaction with images was through either television or analog photography, color Mm -hmm. analog photography. So a lot of my roots are kind of attributed to seeing things in an analog kind of space. So you're you're speaking Josh's love language. you're, You're rooted in like this historical upbringing Right. Would you say? Like Yeah, I would say that. Cuz it's it's striking to me how you're able to do this with such a fluid like you can start a process and it's so fluid whereas for me I feel like I would have to go and do the research and like gain the historical perspective and it's mm-hmm. almost like you're starting with that from from birth almost. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean cuz like there's definitely a a without part of my life. Um, cause when I moved to the States, I started seeing how much access there was to, um, one multiple channels, you know, yeah. I was, I was definitely used to two channels. Um, so TV was like very entertaining, but also like, it was almost like 30% of my life and 7% yeah. was like outside. Mm. And, 
all the people outside were kind of like me and were without in a way of like a lot of luxury. And so in that there was this beautiful um, appreciation for nature and for like conversations and these stories that these old heads were always talking about. And I would just be the kid just like listening or like, you know, watching dominoes at night on the kerosene, you know, so. And um, that makes that makes sense to how it translates to your work now, just hearing you kind of share this of your upbringing and like the ways that you were raised in this more, uh, you're around more like mature audiences. Like you almost grew up quicker than you needed to, I'd say. In a way. Yeah. And I mean, when I came here too, it was just kind of like this, this different terrain. Right. And, uh, more concrete than I was accustomed to and, um, different rules to, to kind of live by and, different restrictions. Like I couldn't be outside until like two in the morning, like, you know, and I didn't know everyone in my neighborhood like I used to, Mm. you know? And so there's these differences. Um, But with that came a lot of understanding of like, Oh, I definitely was on an Island. Mm. And now I'm on this like huge landmass and there's all these different types of behaviors. These, all these different types of like, how to go about an issue or solve an issue of personalities. Like there's all sorts of that. And so it, it opened me up to like realizing the world is large and I'm always researching whether I call it research or not, but I love digesting images and I feel like I'm just a visual reader. And even that research that you're talking about, I'm doing that every day. Like it's just a thing that I can't turn off. So whenever I go to the drawing board, it's always like, that's in there somewhere. So I just got to relax and allow it to come to me. And that creates the fluidity. Taking a lot of those experiences and kind of tapping into those is the in the moment inspiration. Right. It's like you're buying books for your mind Mm -hmm. all the time. How did that kind of, I think you just did a kind of like a residency or, or some work for Facebook's. Um, art program? Yeah, I worked with them for their um, their uh, Black History Month uh, campaign. So maybe maybe walk us through how some of your previous experiences or those books that you've collected in your head, how that kind of helped influence and into the fluidity of some of the, that work that you created. Yeah. Well, it's as if I've come across those people on the street before. Or I've come across those people in like analog images, right? And like on my French Coffee Instagram, that's where I curate the most of these like photographs that I come across of like an earlier era of time where things were all like very analog. And some of those silhouettes come through in my work because it's not like we, like we don't have the, we don't have the need to, to stand like these people anymore. Like we emulate it, but we don't necessarily behave in the same way of two generations before us because right. the world is different, right? So even our, the way we pose is nothing like the 80s. Like we mm. can emulate because we're seeing those poses from the 80s, but it's not necessarily a go-to like we have different poses for the 2000s like you, know, you look through all these 
decades, there's always different types of styles in those things. And my style just happens to be, you know, before like the 2000s, basically, mostly like the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s era. So I'm looking at all these images because those are analog and those silhouettes just stay in my mind. Those poses stay in my mind, you know, the the shades are like the hats for sure. The hats, you know, the fedora, like all that stuff is attributed to like the black man posted up, you know, but like. Even this movement, poses. this fluidity and movement almost. Right. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. And there's, there's yeah, a lot of that. Maybe even explain a little bit for the people who haven't seen the image, like what you're kind of even describing a little bit, Junebug. Okay. So in the Facebook image. Um, there are four characters. So the idea is to create this forward movement from um, uh, remembrance um, to where we are now to a celebration and then the future, right? Mm. And so you have this this man wearing hat, which is a character of mine, um, that is kind of representing the yesterday right and he's kind of in this uh let me pull it up just be a little easier on the explanation (laughs) but uh he's in this um kind of outfit that you can just tell he's not from here you know Mm. it's it's not that you can look at him and see because his pants are flared out he's kind of got the, the 70s look he's got the tie you know, mm-hmm. and there's something he's going that. places. He's going places like the the worker, um, man of the house kind of vibe, right? Mm. And then you have kind of this where we are now of this woman that's like almost. I want to kind of I envision L.A. in a way of just kind of like this black woman in L.A. bun, really chill, doesn't necessarily need to dress. For you to understand her worth but like mm. just being able to exist in a fluid format like flowing you know pants and just kind of walking just mind their own business and then i love the celebration aspect um of this next character because it's just like you know i have the multicolored pants that aren't necessarily it's almost like a vintage mm-hmm. vibe right um, cause you're not finding these pants that are just made now, but there's something about thrifting. And so she kind of has these huge coat on with these colorful pants that are just like, I don't know, resemblance of a time yesterday. So it's still tying in the, the first man that was in the line. Um, and then you're also in the celebration post. So she's the only person off the ground hmm. and then she has the big hair. And so I feel like that's that's something to be celebrated in a way of like our hair has always been like policed and like, you know, we have in locks now. It's just like, you know, in high school, it probably been like, uh, what are you doing? You know? So now I'm just way more into it. And, um, especially like in America, really, like in Jamaica, it's fine. But, yeah. But, yeah. Um, and then you can see the progression. There's a progression. Yeah. And then, you know, the person in front is this trans person, right? And I feel like for the future, that's where it lies. Not in the yeah. binary, but kind of like how people are 
as they want to be, right? And then having this person hold a speaker or a, um, a, a megaphone, basically, and kind of like shouting, like, this is where we're going. Yeah. And being confident in that, you know, there's, there's something about that where I just, I wanted to kind of bring that in. And the first person also has this thrift element of her of their shirt on and the fedora style of the first person, the man in the back. So there's almost like this, I start off rigid, but I'm, you know, getting, getting more and more loose and myself as I go along. Yeah. And they all have areas where they connect with one another too. Yeah. That was important for me. Um, So they all connect because even if they're not like overlapping this, you know, the, the man's hand touches the, the woman in front's shoulder and her hand touches the hair of the celebration. And then the celebration touches, you know, the back arm of the person in front. And then it's just like, you almost, in my mind, the eye kind of follows each of the touches, you know, almost like a wave of a frequency throughout. And, you know, you just go off the page at that point. Yeah. I read that you had this uh, graphic design teacher who told you it's best to appeal to as many senses as possible um, within oh, your work. Ooh, and, was, where'd you get that one, man? <laughs> <laughs> um, and how do you, and maybe we can dive into like your photography and even your um, coffee line and, and some of your freelance with this, mm-hmm. but how do you see that translating into um, maybe this piece and then those other sections as well, like bringing in those those as many senses as possible. Like, what does that mean to you, and why is that important? Well, when I were whenever I was uh, um, mentioning those uh, or that aspect of it, it was when I was really deep into fresh coffee, and um, you know, I had one of those teachers that he didn't really teach me how to uh, be technical. He taught me basically theory mm. and. Um, it was his name was Brad, and um, shout out Brad, and, uh, shout out Brad, <laughs> Brad Oiler, uh, and Dory Oiler, his um, wife at the time, and they both supported me in just like showing me the potentials of what I could do, and one of those was like the sensory aspect, and as humans, we're able to retain in memory longer when more of the senses are activated, right? Um, So I I look at social media sometimes, right? And you see something, and if it's not like, I don't know, there's there's some things that just like you see it and you forget it. And there's things that tap into other senses that you don't realize. There's really good ones that find a way to kind of like figure out how to like hit your other senses or make you feel like you're, you're activating those senses. And then you kind of want to remember because it gives you a feeling. Um, and so with the fresh coffee, it was important for me if I'm going to say coffee and in my mind, when I, when I hear coffee, I think of how it smells. Um, I think of how it tastes. And at the time I didn't really like the taste of coffee. It was more about the smell of it. And I wanted to like create, this atmosphere where as soon as you heard fresh coffee, you thought of my shirts because the shirts smell like coffee and you used to smell like coffee and like, ah, yeah. yeah. And and then creating this package that you can hold in your hand. And it was important for it to be small and not overbearing because 
I think of a coffee bag and I think of just holding it in my hand and it fits and I can squeeze it and like, you know, wow. when I squeeze it. And so I was just really like in that rabbit hole. And I'm literally envisioning myself at a coffee shop, grabbing a coffee yeah, bag. Like the wild. way you just walked through that, so it's many senses wild. were triggered. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, that's kind of where it came from. And just almost wanted to trick people into feeling like they were getting a, a bag of coffee, but it was a shirt in there. And yeah. that was like my whole MO for a while. And I just imagined it on store shelves. I'm just like, you think you're yeah. ordering coffee and blah, blah, blah. Um, Do you find it translating into like your photography and illustrations, like bringing those senses out too? Not consciously, but I feel like subconsciously it's there. Mm. I think looking back at some of the images I've taken, um, there's a way that I shoot where I feel like I want to feel like this, like this scene. If I'm, if I'm seeing a scene of like fruit, I want to shoot in a way where when I look back at it, it's as if I'm almost intimate with the fruit, Mm. you know, to the point where I give off the sense that I'm close enough to smell the fruit um, or close enough to pick it up, you know, so it makes sense for me to just shoot in a close range and give that feeling, translate that feeling across. Um, I'm kind of curious because as the more you talk about your work, there's so much intentionality for someone who really enjoys to work in this fluid state. And so I would love to hear what are some of the constraints that you place on yourself or discipline, so to speak. Because it... As I hear you talk, like there's there's something intentional that's happening each time you like even the way you described uh, the orange to the pictures you take to uh, this Black History Month piece. Like you're you're thinking meticulously about each type of stroke and the connection of the fingers. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of curious. Like, are there any constraints you put on yourself or any disciplines that you feel like has helped you know where you can be fluid, but then also know because people who work with Facebook and Nike and Bandcamp like you have isn't because mm-hmm. there's not some sort of discipline and, or like, you know, you're, you're not too loosey goosey, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like there's something intentional about you and your work. Right. Make it um, make sense. Junebug. Make it make yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. Pull the curtain back and tell us. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's Junebug's like, I got nothing. I, I can't tell you how yeah, it works. It, it just works. Kind of, it's it's kind of hard to explain because it's like, <laughs> it's a lot of subconscious things where I'm following patterns that I've created without understanding that I've created them. And, you know, one of the first disciplines that I took upon myself was I spent three years um, only drawing with a pen so that way I wouldn't have an eraser and corrected my mistakes and eventually got comfortable with that. And then once I got comfortable with that, it was like I could do anything because Man. I didn't have. And he's good at illustrator. I think that's important. I think that's like really insightful to know of like, that is a certain type of constraint that you put on yourself, even though you were still free and fluid to do whatever you wanted to within that space. Yeah. There was this constraint of knowing you couldn't erase or you had to you had to pivot once you made a stroke 
that you right. otherwise wanted to change. Right. And I think that's really fascinating to how you kind of like adapted to that. Right. Thank you. That's really interesting. Well, you haven't talked yet about you're you're based in Oakland. So you right. go from like Jamaica, you're in the Texas, which was probably like a huge culture shock. Mm-hmm. And then now like in a lot of ways you're in the Mecca of culture out in Oakland. How how is that influencing your process? How is being part of a collective played into that? Okay. I um so okay. There's there's Florida also in that. There's Florida? My so, okay. Ben Ben didn't I, do his uh, research. Ugh. I moved I moved to Irving, Texas, my first place in the US. And then two years after I was there, I moved to Florida. And Florida was a bit more lax because it was closer to the Caribbean, so there was still a I to say I know you're eating good in Florida right. like you weren't so, in Texas. You know, it was it was very much similar. And then I moved back to Texas, like I think three years later, something like that. Um, but once I moved out to Cali, it was kind of like this. You know, I've been out here since, what, 2014? And I've just seen so much of, like, almost like this radical community um, support for anything, anything, mm-hmm. right? And it was kind of the first place I saw the freedom of being yourself, completely yourself. And almost had like a an element of support and just encouragement to be yourself, be your true self. You know, there's still like a lot of fight going on to be that. But from the circles that I've been around and just observing those circles, I've seen way more of this like, just hype, you know, around just like, oh, you're this way? All right, cool, mm. that way. You know, but like, come kick it with us. Yeah. Don't like be that way and alienate yourself. Like, come kick it with us. Yeah. You know, we had Adrian it. We had Adrian Walker on a few weeks ago, and he was saying uh, one of his greatest tools is his community. Would you like relate yeah. or say the same thing? Yeah. I can definitely relate. I mean, Adrian, Adrian like uh, showed me that even more. Because we moved here around the same time, but we met actually in Texas, I think like a few years before. Um, but yeah, there's something there's something just powerful about community, you mm. know. And you don't have to do much. I mean, you show up, but you don't have to like force it, you know. Because there's there's times where you just have to be by yourself, but knowing that the community is still there and has your back is just having that knowledge of it, that awareness of it, definitely helps. And I've just seen so much of community support. And there's something about the Bay Area where everything works. Mm. That was different, but it intersects so beautifully. I don't know why. So yeah. there's magic here that um, I was, I'm, I've just been grateful to tap into and be a part of, you know, and some talented folks who just living here. Low-key just like living here you know yeah it's crazy um, well place then, plays a big part into that like just that community aspect of people really especially when there's diversity and it's giving you so many different perspectives to think about and look at things that, especially for someone like you where your work is, is is so much influenced by the experiences you have as a person 
Mm-hmm. I can see how the people you have around you and the diversity of those things really plays into your work in a lot of ways. Yeah, because I mean, like, you know, with the photography, I took photography in 2005. So when people ask me when I did that, did I start shooting? It's kind of a loaded question because I started in 2005. And as soon as I started, film died out because digital came along. So this is like around, I started in 2005 and, and in like 2006 is when the place close by the school that supplied the film and paper and all that stuff just closed. Man. You know, and I was like, yo, I just fell in love with this. Like, <laughs> you know, you're telling me about I and like, now it's gone. You know? Did you so, think it was going to come back? I didn't know. I also didn't know. I um, I even just like adapted and I was like, all right, I'm going to get a digital camera and like try this, you know, yeah. clearly, you know, you said I got eyes, so let me like test this out. <laughs> and it just wasn't the same. Like I used digital as a way of um, making money. So I tried the whole like scheduling out photo shoots with people and the grind. It, like for the majority of the time I used it for documenting those fresh coffee shows hmm. and just juggling all of those things and um, doing little videos. And But the whole time I was trying to edit like I was shooting film. That was always the thing. It was like there's the cinematic aspect of film that I just never forgot. And everything hmm. that I touched, I wanted to feel like this cool cinema, just like feeling, right? Um, and now it's like whenever I walk around, you know, I picked the camera back up in 2016. A homie had donated her camera that she got from her father in 2008. And I brought that shit around everywhere I moved, never using it, just putting it on the desk <laughs> and just looking at it. I'm like, yeah, it's a nice uh. piece, right? Didn't even open it at all until 2016. Until um, my late friend was like, yo, you should just shoot that. And I was like, all right, cool. My other friends in Texas was like telling me the same thing because I was shooting on my phone, you know, using Visco. And I was still trying to edit like film. Yeah. And I was just like, dang, these are pretty good. (laughs) So I went home one day and the camera just happened to like the sun hit it right or something. And it was like glowing. I was like, you know, let's pick this up. Open that shit. There was a roll in there. And I was like, damn. No. That's the first lesson I just learned again. (laughs) Cool. Don't do that anymore. So after that role, tried it out, tested it out, shot. And by this time I had built up my illustration and mural stuff to be like, you know, I had a manager, like I'm still like, you know, it's almost automated in a way. So me taking up film again, because it's expensive. I didn't want to be in that position where I'm shooting, but I need to charge for the love so I can keep shooting. I kind of want yeah. to like pay for it by doing the stuff that I had designated my life to acquire income for and then supply yeah. my love with that. So I started just shooting constantly. I was going through like five or six rolls a week. I was Man. dropping them off. I was just shotgunning bro, because like, it just ignited this love and passion for me again. And I was walking yeah. everywhere. You know, I probably had like a hundred steps or something like a hundred thousand <laughs> steps or whatever. It was just kind of like I left the house. I didn't come back till it was dark. Yeah. 
you know. And well, to we, this day, you're still shooting like that. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I've definitely been uh, more selective now, you know, uh, not even with the pandemic, but I mean, you kind of start off shooting everything, right? And then you kind of slowly stripping it down to the bare bones and like, okay, this is what actually I want to shoot. Yeah. You know, and going up formats and different things, you kind of like yeah. to realize your voice and this is why you shoot this or blah, blah, and blah. And this is, but, and we've, we've like, uh, touched on your creative process and we're, we're naturally already kind of moving to like the second segment of our show within creative mm. tools. But what are you like, what's your camera setup? What are you, what are the film stocks that you really enjoy? I noticed you have a Canon Canonet, which I have one of my own. I don't know if you're still using I, it, but it's my favorite camera. Uh, but what are you, what are you shooting with? And, and you know, what's your favorite type of film these days? The Canonet is beautiful. Low key, just like it's underappreciated. It really is, man. I almost enjoy it more than I, I tried the Leica, and I'm sure I like I would probably get the Leica if I had to get the Leica. But the Canonet has something where it's just the underrated, the underdog. I think I love it's the it's the poor man's Leica, and I love that. Right, and um, it was challenging at first because I was so used to the SLR and um, quiet in the garage sale, fifteen bucks, and. Um, once I got over it, I was like, yo, this is the best camera. And it's still today my fastest camera on the street. Let's go. I even have a point of shoot, but still I I know the Canonet so well now that I'm like, I'd rather use it in the point of shoot. Um, but I have the Olympus XA4, which is like one of my newest acquirements. Josh is like writing all these down right now. He's like going to go buy this <laughs> right, setup. Right. I'm going to book a flight to to the Bay Area and I'm about to shoot this Canonet with my boy yeah. Junebug now. Let me tell you, man. I'll take you wherever. Um, but yeah, it's a 28 millimeter lens. It's the widest lens I have. And I try to, when I get cameras, I try to get something that's not like the other one I have. Hmm. So kind of mix it up a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and so I have the point of shoot XA4 28 millimeter lens. Then I have the the Pentax MX with a 50 millimeter lens on it. That's my SLR. And then I have the Canonet with a fixed 40 millimeter lens. And then I have um, a twin lens Rolleicord, which is basically like a Rolleiflex but lesser. And um, I have a my newest one is one that I just it's like my my tank of a camera, like my, it probably would be my studio camera if I had a studio, but it's the Roly um, 6000 series, 6003 series. Um, and it's just heavy, but it's a medium format and it's a square and I love the square. Hmm. So that's like my, <clears throat> if I want to shoot a portrait for a magazine kind of thing, I would take that one. Pull out the big dog. Yeah. Right. And then um, I have a Leica Flex, which it's a little bulky, but the photos on there are amazing. It's super sharp. I mean, it's a Leica, so it's super sharp. Um, it doesn't have a light meter, so I, I just adopt the Sony 16 rule and just... You use the Sony 16? I learned it on the Canonet. Because I didn't know the Canonet had an uh, aperture priority function. So, And the batteries that I was using when I first got it, I think they came out with a new battery, but when I was using it, the battery just died out. So I had to like, just, I couldn't rely on the battery. So I just ben, ben, let me bring you into this. This is someone who's good at <laughs> Illustrator and uses Sunny 16 with their film camera. Who are you, Junebug? Yo, man, it's, it's like, 
It's challenge, man. It's this challenge. <laughs> you can you can do one, but not both. That's just not fair. It's the problem, wow. man. It's the I problem, love it, bro. So you know, and so that's, that's, a, that's a pretty healthy camera setup that you got going on. Yeah. And are you are you developing film? I am developing, yourself developing um, both black and white and color. Yeah, my man, man. Is there anything he can't do? Man, I haven't shot movies yet. I have a. I have a, hey. I have a super. You realize how he said yet? He said yeah. yet. I have a super. Yeah. I'm a student, <laughs> man. I'm a student, yo. Like I, I love that that learning. That's that. incredible. Especially well, outside of outside of photography, though, what are what are the tools that are really important to to the work that you do? Um, just in terms of apps and illustrating illustrations and mm-hmm. and all, all those things outside of photography. Yeah, yeah. Are you like drawing first and then kind of like shooting it to bring it over onto the computer? Man, if y'all can see my sketchbook collection, bro, I got like 15, 16 books, moleskins, whatever, just filled like page. Oh, man. Page. I revisit sketchbooks. I draw in the spaces. Like I'm just, everything starts on paper. Pencil See, paper. I would say that's another constraint that you've kind of placed on yourself. I wouldn't say constraint of discipline. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like every time I've been around you, you've had your camera on you or you're drawing, like there's just this innate ability for you to just know you have to create. And I feel like some of my favorite artists and creatives that I interact with just have this discipline of the love it's kind of the love for the game. Like they're constantly drawing. They're constantly like taking photos. Well, it's like the uh, sense of expectancy too. Like you have your camera with you always because you're not only taking it with you to the big moments. It's the mundane little moments that turn into, man, I, I'm glad yeah, I have my camera so I can shoot that. Same thing with, you know, your sketchbook. Yeah. Cause I mean, I look at these images from, you know, back in the day and there's no way they plan to take this photo. That's like, mm-hmm this woman, you know, picking up her kid. It's just like, there's no way. So you got to have the camera at all times because you never know when those moments are going to pull up, right? And the same thing, I used to be a backpacker, right? I used to have my sketchbook in my bag. I used to have basically all my tools in my backpack. And I, I was just always with a backpack for a while. Um, so in recent years, I've kind of like basically stripped down to the, what I need and i used to be well break down break down the essentials for us like what's right, in the, so like, what's in your backpack so in my backpack before it was just sketchbook um a pencil and a pen like a little fine tip pen i didn't like microns it was like the faber castles um and now it's like the screen writer or something like that and that was always in my backpack just a sketchbook and a pencil and a pen um and now I'm like, I have my, my laptop and I used to carry my laptop everywhere too. And cause I'd illustrate on there and I was very much a laptop person. I wasn't a, a uh, what's that? iPad? iPad, I wasn't, uh, the Wacom was out. I, I wasn't a Wacom person. I tried it, but I was like, nah, it's not really. <laughs> you know, um, I needed to see what I was actually doing. And there's like other Wacoms, but the one I had was like the square to like look at the screen or whatever. But um, yeah, I worked on the laptop solely and I used a trackpad for everything. So I was on oh, man, and I was using the trackpad and shortcut keys. And I was so good at the shortcut key. I was faster than anything. I, was, I didn't use the mouse. The mouse slowed me down. I just learned so much from the shortcut keys. 
And it was almost like some fucking anime shit where you're just like, you know? <laughs> so uh, it was just like, I was trackpad, just it, that's it. And I was so for an analog mind. guy, what, what were like the digital essentials for you? Like, were there certain tools or like apps that you had to have it was to convert from analog Photoshop. to digital? It was Illustrator and Photoshop. Those are the only two. I had this, um, I still have this thing called Cocoa Portraits. It was a tracing app, the Japanese tracing app. It's no longer available, but at the time I got it and I still have it. And I almost don't want to like clean this computer at all because it's, <laughs> yeah, because it was way better than uh, Live Trace because you could just drop something, a drawing in, and it would just like basically create a vector image of that drawing, but like completely like the same. You know, and I just love that pristine quality of it. Mm. Um, and so those are the three apps that I just followed around for the longest time. And then last year, um, pandemic hit, and I just so happened to do a project with Adobe. Um, actually, I, I did a, an Apple, uh, a Today at Apple in February of last year. Oh, and, wow. You know, how they like, they gave me an iPad. I had to choose like iPad, iPhone, or something else. And I was like thinking forward. I was like, yo, <laughs> let me do an iPad. If I get a pencil, let me try that. And because everyone was talking about Procreate, you know, and right. I was like, let me, let me try that. I tried it before and I was like, all right, let me, let me see what it's about. And then I got the iPad and then I ended up doing Adobe live stream the next month. And um, with doing Adobe Livestream, I had to use the Adobe products. And I was already like familiar with Photoshop and Illustrator. So I thought I was going to like use those. But then they presented, it was like, yo, we have our own version of Procreate <laughs> called Fresco. And I was like, what's Fresco? <laughs> and then, bro, that is all I use today. Because what? when they... When they told me Fresco, you could use vector brushes and that it was because it was part of the suite, it could talk to Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop. I was like, oh. This is, this is how much is Adobe paying you right now to say all this stuff? Man, I wish they were like. Cut the check, know. Adobe. <laughs> Cut the <laughs> check. You know My saying? man is, he is out here yeah. pushing yeah. the Fresco. Man. Procreate, you're on notice. <laughs> Adobe Fresco <laughs> is here to thing. stay. I need another year subscription. That's what I need. <laughs> Lifetime. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so I've been using that. And at first it was challenging, right? But like I started to see. Like, no, nothing's like, a challenge for you. I don't, I'm not convinced anything's challenging for you anymore. It's, this technology is new. I'm still like this old man inside. So like I had to like figure out what I was going to use to feel like I was on paper still. Knowing yeah. in my mind that I wasn't on paper. So I even bought the the screen protector that had a little grit to it, so I would feel like some sort of, you know, resistance. Um, and then I started using it, and I started becoming more and more familiar with it. Started finding like this, I can tweak this brush to feel like this line that I want. And then um, my studio mates were kind of like showing me different ways to like create an image. Because they're printmakers, so I started like getting into that, 
And then I started pulling that back into the practice of all these other jobs. And so eventually it just became like, I stopped using Illustrator <clears throat> because Illustrator required me to be on my laptop and my laptop is old. So it started slowing down and started getting frustrated. So then I'll be on the iPad, which is like the newest thing I have and it's quick. And then I'm also drawing. So there's a sense of whatever I'm doing on paper, I can do on the iPad because I can just scan this and retrace it and then add extra things and like switch them out pretty quickly. And so I started seeing the value of it and I started like basically improving on it, working on random projects and then utilizing any project that I had coming up on the iPad. So it was like, one, I'm getting paid, but two, I'm getting paid to learn my own thing and you're getting the result of me learning. You know, like every project was different. So I was approaching it different. So it was kind of like, I'm learning how I used to learn, but the difference is I'm getting paid to do this now instead of being in college and staying up to like 3 a.m. trying to learn. You know? but, um, so it's, it's been cool, man. I think just fresco has been the thing. Hopefully, I keep seeing the motion side coming soon. Yeah. And I think animation is in my next realm of possibilities. Yeah. Um, Your stuff would look so good animated. I mean, I see sure. them move when I draw them. It's just yeah. a matter of other people seeing them move when I draw them. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So uh, that's coming. And I feel like I have had this comic for a long time that I've worked on that some people know about. And the dream is to kind of create and expand that world into motion. Mm. Um, and then also with the super eight that I was gifted that taking the film stills and making those into motion. So that, you know, that's, that's where the future lies for me. It's, just it's, like, it's exciting to even think about what you're, what you're about to dive into. Like, yeah, man. man. And then so eventually cool. audio. <laughs> Bruh. <laughs> Bruh. Man. I already have an alias, bro. I'm, I'm an alias person. Like I'll think about something and I'm like, okay, I'm not, that's not a, that's not a regular June bug thing. I got to yeah. create another person for that. So when yeah. I tap into that person, I'm in that room entirely. Yeah. So Shutterbugs, when I switch over to that Shutterbugs page, that's all I am. I'm not I can't wait to see what you name it. It's just tight, you know? So there we go. Well, Junebug, we've talked about creative process. We've talked about creative tools. Now we're going to finish up with the last segment, making money. This is Ben's favorite uh, section because he loves to ask. I just, love making money. Well, he loves to ask people how much money they make. And I, I always look at him and I say, you can't ask people that. Um, but just to, for starters, like how would you describe your relationship with using social media to market yourself and make money? Mm. My relationship with money, man, is it went from like uh, scarcity to abundance mindset. Um, you know, That's a big shift. Up, That's an important shift to make. It's a big shift for sure. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of help, you know, um, with this group called Studio Now. We're just kind of mentoring me and thinking more about the abundance mindset. But Yeah, shout out Studio. That's a cool place for creatives to sign up on. Yeah, man. So it's been like thinking in terms of whenever I need money, 
money appears. Whenever I want money, that shit takes forever. So I understood that the universe for me works in the need-based and not the want-based. And so when that applies to money, I try not to like overthink or over like, or succumb to the fear of being without money, you know, because whatever it is I need to solve, I've been in too many positions (laughs) where I'm like, damn, I need this money. And then chilling with that fact that I need the money and then getting up to go cook something and then relaxing. And then I get a text for another project. Yeah. You know, or like what's bringing in the most income for you? Like what type of projects you'd say? Um, it's been on the buzz 87 side. It's kind of weird now because I'm, I'm looking to only do, uh, the goal is to do like, two projects a year, you know, it's a goal for sure. Um, you say two or 10, two, 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 because I've started to realize that my mental capacity for what I can offer can, I can really be into a huge project, just mm-hmm. one for a whole year. I feel like that's possible. When you think about production, you think about, you know, the identity of it, fleshing it out, seeing it come to fruition, marketing, yeah. like all that stuff. <clears throat> and, you know, that's, I've, I've compartmentalized. So I do commercial, which would be that goal of one project per year. But then I have my prints of personal work that I can, you know, I have collaborations where I'm not in charge of fulfillment. I'm in charge of creation. I'm just trying to create. That's my role. That's what I'm good at. I'm not good at overcompensating the other stuff. Admin, that's just not me. As much as I, when I was, you know, in the scarcity mindset, I was trying to do everything by myself and that just wasn't working. So now I'm at a point where I can actually work with people that are good at what they do so I can be good at what I do. And everybody we found that to be a common theme with some of the other creators that we've talked about <laughs> is freeing yourself up to focus on the main thing, which is like the creating piece. And there's all yeah. this other admin, other stuff that like, and you know, you definitely bills, need contracts. to make it happen. You, you have to figure out a way to kind of like free yourself from that. So you can right. do. And that comes, thing. Mm-hmm. that comes with those fires that you have to go through. Hmm. What was your first paid gig where you realized I could probably go full-time as an artist? I could maybe do this full-time as an artist. I think it was... This first gig led to the, the first gig that I realized. So the first gig I did was a photography gig where I was shooting a DJ battle in Dallas for Red Bull. And eventually, you know, like that led to an actual project with Red Bull. And it was the <clears throat> the first time Red Bull did a sound select in Dallas. Mm. And I was the person that did that artwork for him. And it was supposed to be just a flyer and the flyer basically upgraded to a poster and t-shirts and ended up selling out. And the show's headliner, because the sound select 
um, the sound select business model was to create this avenue where even the headliner was on the same level as the openers. So no mm -hmm. one's name was like larger than the other, right? And so the headliner was Erica Badu. And because it's Dallas and you're in the circle, the degree of separation is hella small, right? Yeah. So by shooting that DJ battle, one of the DJs was her DJ. And, you know, like I had been doing art in the scene. So it's kind of like I was familiar with that. And so whenever we did the Red Bull Sound Select, you know, I worked with now who's my manager, um, Anton. And Anton brought me on and we did this project and it was just a flyer. And then they showed the flyer and then the buzz started growing. I was like, oh, let's make this into more. And then the show happened and my roommate, this is my roommate again now, Topic, we had been doing just entrepreneurial shit, like shows, I do the flyers, you do the show, you're a musician, blah, blah, blah. It's like boom, boom, boom. So he was on the thing. And so like I created this massive campaign with Anton to get this show to like being a full on experience. Show sold out. The shirt sold out. The po we did a hundred posters. Posters sold out, and that was like the first time I was like, "Yo!" So because I drew, that means like like you said dinner on me tomorrow. tomorrow. Let's because go. like my my mind just went to the 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 flyer. I just wanted to do a really good job on the artwork. Yeah, but because I did a good job on the artwork, and because it was vector it could like size up without losing quality. So then it was like, Oh, well, what else can we put this on? So then I started seeing like the benefits of creating something really good. Hmm. That way it could spread across different mediums and have multiple functionalities. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, and what's... at the end of the day, it's good. So you can do whatever. Yeah. What's something you wish you knew about? Um, and maybe this is with the, the coffee clothing line, or maybe this is just within all the work that you do, but what's something you wish you knew about running your own business or managing yourself uh, that you wish you knew when you started or what's still difficult today? Uh, <clears throat> that's a good question, man. I mean, it's as much as I wish I would have known, I still would have, I, I still appreciated getting taken advantage of mm. because those lessons, you know, I'm very much of a trial by fire kind of person. I've always been, the preventative measure doesn't work for me. So I have to feel it so I don't feel it again. Mm. And I think that was one of the things that I wish I would have known. But even as I wish I would have known those things, I also appreciated that lesson of going through those things, of getting taken advantage of money-wise or having my, my work kind of go on to doing more than it should have that we talked about kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Or just, getting, yeah. or just getting paid less for where the work ended up taking your brand, you know, or not even, or even thinking like at the time that was a lot of money for me because I wasn't used to getting that money. And then hindsight, I'm like, whoa, that would, I should have been way more than that, you know, but I was so hungry at the time, you know, so those things where, yeah, it sounds good to say that I wish I would have known, but the reality of how I function, I am appreciative of like not knowing those things. 
So in, in that answering that question, I just don't feel like there's that uh, that question is just weird for me because I, I really just appreciate. Yeah, you're a trial by fire person. Like you just yeah, learn by experience. But that was that was a good question, man. I don't think it's a good question. Uh, well, I think it's hard too. Like thinking about money, it's it's so equated with success. Like you have to making a certain number means you're this. Your value mm-hmm. can be wrapped up into that, but that's not necessarily. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily true. If th- you can define se- success that way, but that doesn't necessarily mean, right. you know, you're successful. Right. And um, I mean, that's, that's, like, that's one of the things I've learned too. It's just like, what does success look like to that mm-hmm. person, to you, to me? And what does it mean for you? Changed. Over time, it's changed. It used to be like, you know, I'm getting this amount of money, which means I can actually buy these types of foods or, you yeah. know, there's an aspect of survival, like just yeah, basic yeah, yeah, as an artist, yeah, yeah. basic needs and stuff. And being able to like, um, there was a comparison aspect to it too. Cause being able to go to, you know, homies houses and then they're having like really good water and shit. And you're just like, Oh damn, I'm used to getting this regular shit. You know, so it's like, <laughs> right, you know, this, this, couch, this, this, this apartment has all this natural light and windows. I'm like, Oh, Okay, you know, and I go back to like my dark part. It was like all these things, but then eventually, over time, I started to see like what actually matters to me is peace of mind in a way, and um, sustainability and respect. I think those are the three. I was going to ask you too, like, what's your uh, what's your cameo cost these days? I saw you were I saw you were low key chilling in the back of the Leon Bridges video like is that a is that a cameo experience like you get paid to get on top of that because you're so fly looking or is that is that part of the homie it's it's definitely the community you know um that's old texas friends right yeah the whole dfw man there's like a it's just a pool of homies that are just it's a talent pool man even there's there's folks in in dallas that haven't like really like blown up toby Toby, yeah, Toby's in Houston, but even that Texas, oh, yeah, Texas, big like, Texas, yeah, you know, Houston, Texas, or Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, San Antonio, um, you know, there's even El Paso, like there's there's all sorts of artists that are just Texas is huge, bro. Like <laughs> Texas, like on a road trip to out of Texas, you and West Texas and East Texas are like two different things. Yeah, it is twelve hours. Um, it takes to get from Dallas to El Paso. It don't. It it doesn't even make sense. It it just blows you know, my mind. It's wild. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. wild. Well, Junebug, so, we've we've yeah. we've talked about your creative process. We've talked about creative tools. We talked about making money. Um, we're gonna close it out with this question. Okay. Um, when considering what it means to leave behind a legacy, what would you say you want your creative legacy to be? It's mm, a good question too. I don't have like a one-liner. I love when people have one-liners. Um, <laughs> That's all right. I think, uh, well... C- creative legacy. It's hard to put a man who's not used mm. to being in a box in a box. 
And now I'm breaking the fluidity. Maybe maybe it's that. Maybe it's that like um, lean into the mistakes. Mm. You know, there's unlearning this um, this rigid notion of following a path that was laid out for you. Um, I think the creativity is something raw that can't be controlled. And I would love to leave behind the, the motivation to lean into that, that wild, raw energy and tap into that and almost like fuse with that. Right. And, um, let that be the guide to kind of allow you to create things that the world is not ready for. It takes a really humble perspective to not try to control that raw creativity. And I think you kind of approach a lot of your work in life very open-handed and willing to be proven wrong so that you can relearn and become better. I think mm-hmm. that's a that's a really fascinating piece and I think is what makes you very unique and special as a creative as well is that humbleness to be wrong and to learn from it and to make something even better the next time around. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Appreciate being seen like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Junebug, we've uh, enjoyed having you on the show. It was incredible getting to uh, learn about your background, learn about Mm. your process and and how you uh, move as a creative and just how, freaking killer you are i mean from illustrator to photography you're doing it all so uh thanks again for joining us thank you thank you yeah anything coming up Um, shout out yeah uh i'm working on a body of work for a solo show um with part two uh here in oakland and it'll be july 1st of this year and um i want to just you know say that that's going to be pretty nice show i'm working on pieces in sizes i've never worked on before these are going to be my largest pieces to date um and i'm revisiting a lot of my childhood memories and you know what i talked about earlier about just being influenced by television this is that show you know this is like me diving into those memories um so i'm I'm looking forward to just bringing them to life and having them on display and basically showing my story through color and, you know, uh, memories and silhouettes. So that's, that's really the focal point of me for the first half of this year. Um, and some more collaborations are coming for the end of this year. And, um, just larger projects, man. I'm, I'm really just excited for what's on the table right now. Um, and yeah, that's, that's mostly it. Oh, and I'm re-emerging with fresh coffee. So that's that's been on my my big time goals for twenty twenty one. So yeah, where are the where uh, where can people find you if they want to dive into your stuff? Um, so I would just say I have three Instagrams. But hold on, before we end, I have to ask: How do you manage three Instagrams? It's it's the alias, man. It's like I think of it as a house. Each house has or, uh, the one house has three rooms for right now. When I go into that room, I'm in that room. Wow. You know what I'm saying? We all come into the kitchen at some point, but we're in that room, we know. <laughs> and that helps me now. I don't know if it's a Gemini thing or what, but like I just function better when they're not all just talking over each other. You know, yeah. they all have room to just grow individually. 
Um, but the Bugs87, T-H-E-B-U-G-S-8-7 is my main account. And from there, you can find the other ones through the profile um, description. Um, but yeah, I have Fresh Coffee and the, the, photo, the photography page. And those are the main three that I juggle between. Um, Sweet. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much me. Um, I want to ask a quick question, Joshua. Be patient. Go ahead. I am Joshua Jean Marie. You got it. Let's go. <laughs> my, par- my parents are from Haiti. I was Let's born go, in the states, you, but you, you read it. You read it. Man, that's what's up, bro. That's what's up, man. Nathan, yeah, that's pretty good. I love it, man. But yeah, that's that's me, bro. I appreciate y'all, man. This has been great. It's been really refreshing. We appreciate you, man. I love that shit. And before you leave, do us a big favor and leave us a review or share this week's episode with your friends. It helps us keep the lights on. And if you're curious, our original music was made by local producer Shem. And our awesome album art was designed by our good friend, Tyler Deeb. We'll see you next week.